The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas Fickendee. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. Listen to Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing a half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my boat. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome on board the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, what is this show about? We just find interesting people. Today is no exception. We have a chat to them, extract their tips, their tools, their opinions on stuff that we can apply to our own world to get our mojo working in or out of work, or as our good friend Tate Fletcher, a previous guest on the show from Rocktober a few years back, said, perhaps you could pick up a few little tips and tools that you can use to be of service to somebody else, somebody else who is going through a difficult time, needs to get their mojo back. The crew are all in the Stu Stu studio. Thank you, Phil Collins, big fan of the show. Uh, Robbo, the driver of the big red bus, is in the driver's seat. Cap in hand, ready to rock and roll. You ready to go? I am ready to rock and roll. Hey, just quickly, over the weekend, I uh, I dove into the pantry and the fridge thinking about your story last week saying that uh, a study had shown that 50% of our food was wasted that we'd bought. So I, I didn't find much. Having a few teenagers in the house, I didn't find a lot. But what I did find was 50% of my Tim Tam stash. And what I've actually got here for AP, I found... Uh, some salty caramel, Tim Tams, which I thought he'd enjoy. Uh, for Lola, double coated because they take more bites. So that's for Lola. And for you, because you're such a health nut and we know how good cherry and coconut is for you, cherry coconut flavoured Tim Tams, mate. So there you go. Get into those this morning. That stuff, that stuff exists? <laughs> that stuff exists. I was, I was actually sure. tempted to give, uh, give AP the, uh, the Port and Sultana flavoured Tim Tams, but I thought he might get himself in some trouble on the way home. Speaking of Mayor Peters, did I see him uh, at the White House this week with Paul Murray interviewing the Trumpster? Did I see, was AP there in the background? You know, one of those people in the background, the mayor, is he pulling some strings over there looking at uh, trade, trade, trade tariffs? I highly doubt it. They wouldn't let Mayor, Mayor Peters anywhere near the White House. Although they let Donald Trump in, so who knows? Robbo's Remarkable Facts. It's Let's go. All right. We're going to do something different. This is a reverse remarkable fact. How about that? A reverse remarkable fact. Okay. Go. Robbo, three questions if you choose to accept them. Go. Your favourite producer or sound engineer? Uh, Mark Opitz. Famous for? 
In Excess, Midnight Oil, a whole bunch of Australian bands. One of the first audio engineers who inspired me. I'm melting in the sun. An audio piece or song that you wish you had written or produced? Uh, Jeff Thomas, uh, Red Angel promo for Triple M back around 1993-94. Probably one of the greatest pieces of radio I've ever heard. <laughs> i tell you what, that was... You talk about radio promotions and that was a world-class radio promotion where we at Triple M we put the first civilian into space and that was all legit <laughs> and they came back. They did. They made it back. <laughs> yes. all, all right, track three. Yeah. If you were going to play a track to get your mojo working in the studio on any given morning, what would you play? Uh, well, this morning it was. It changes, to be honest with you, because it depends on my mood. Sometimes it'll be jazz, sometimes it'll be rock, sometimes even a bit of a classical. But I'll answer that question by this morning. This morning I sat down and was setting up to record and had a smackering to hear Ship and Steel by Cold Chisel, so I chucked on Breakfast at Sweethearts. There you go, three quick questions. The man is in the seat. Remarkable fact, go. The world's total population at the moment is more in, more than 7.5 billion people. And it sounds a lot, but did you know that if you packed everybody in the world shoulder to shoulder, they would f- sit within the city limits of Los Angeles, California? I did not know that. Isn't Remarkable. that amazing? Yeah, I, that, that blew my mind. <laughs> that really blew my mind. 7.5 billion people squash us all together and we fit within the city limits of Los Angeles, California. Crazy stuff. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Now, there is a backstory here. I've always taken a green drink daily and it was essentially just for me an insurance policy for my wellness to top up my regular food plan. And then I met a guy called Adam, who's the managing director of Athletic Greens. And I was doing a speaking gig. And I'd heard of Athletic Greens because Tim Ferriss, which is probably one of the biggest podcasts in the world, is a great advocate and talks about Athletic Greens as being one of his absolute non-negotiable daily rituals around health and, and wellness. And what it made me appreciate is that I'd be very naive and I'd assumed that going to any health food shop or supermarket and grabbing off the shelf a green, that the they're all legit and the efficacy was good. But it turns out I was pretty wrong because once I started speaking to Adam about the 75-odd ingredients and stuff that was Athletic Greens, I realised that I'd been buying cheaper stuff that wasn't actually doing that much for me. So I kept in touch with Adam and then Athletic Greens got onto our show and then they loved what we were doing. And the guys at Athletic Greens became our biggest Patreon supporters. So not long after that, the guy who created Athletic Greens, Chris Ashenden, was in Australia and he started the brand. And when I sat down with Chris, I realised that he's actually a really cool guy and a true thought leader in areas of health and wellness. And the more I spoke to him, I thought, actually, you'd be really good for the show. So I came back, spoke to Robbo, and we decided to get him on. He's known as Chris the Kiwi Ashenden, and he's been around for a while. I'd heard him on a podcast, gee, many, many years ago with Ben Greenfield. He's a native of New Zealand, a serial entrepreneur, health and fitness expert, 
He's an investor and he is actually a true world traveller and he's decided to be with us here today. So, Chris, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you so much, Gary. Let's just go back and start with the brand itself, Athletic Greens. Why Why start it, Chris? What was the genesis behind the business? Uh, I, I got sick and I got sick at the same time that the other business ventures that I've been involved in disappeared. And it was an opportunity for me to, one, engage in, in solving my own set of problems, which were mainly around how I was absorbing, or in that case, not absorbing uh, nutrients as I ate them, at the same time as seeking to pursue something about which I was very passionate. And it was a great sort of perfect storm, although at the time it was a pretty, pretty hard uphill journey, but it was a great perfect storm ultimately that led to create a product to solve my problems that we then uh, raised money to sort of perfect and then take to market. And that's, that's how Athletic Greens came to be. It's an interesting journey because I suspect at the very early stages, there were other greens in the category at that time. Why Why did you think you could do something differently? I, mean, I had a look at what was out there at the time. And I mean, to be honest, if you'd come to me five years ago, and I've been doing this now since 2009, and, and had said to me how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have... Uh, probably wouldn't have recommended that anyone do this, but I, I literally, oh, oh, I, I over-engineered a product to serve my own needs, and there was nothing anywhere near as comprehensive or anything like it. And I just made this grand assumption that people would be willing to uh, to pay for this product, and it had worked very well with the various uh, people we'd, we'd tested it with and who tried it and helped us iterate it. And I thought this is going to be easy. And I also thought that because I'm quite good with people and I'm good at selling face-to-face, that, that selling online would be uh, a breeze and it was not a breeze. And in fact, the first sort of online experts I got to help me, that these are people who'd grown online brands to the hundreds of millions of dollars, told me, you have an over-engineered product, you don't have the margin uh, to make it work. And the same from an, a retail expert who had a at the time, a $300 million a year natural retail brand said the same thing for retail. And I still uh, kept after it. So I don't have any regrets, but it was a very, very hard journey to, to try to get it working. Um, but no regrets, man. I built something I'm very, very proud of with a team I'm very, very proud of. So you you were not well. You were sick. You had this thought about taking, in essence, your health into your own hands but rather than just do a product, you you went about doing a lot of study and research, didn't you? I mean, that seems to be a, a backbone to you, Chris, as a, as, a, as a human, as a man. You seem to have done a lot of work behind the scenes. Well, when I when I got sick, okay, so I have a background in, in sport and fitness. I studied for an exercise, a sport exercise degree at the University of Auckland. I didn't graduate. I dropped out with two papers to go to start a supplement company, which... Subsequently went under, I've worked as a nutritionist, personal trainer. I've done a lot of odd jobs in, in the space and always have had my passion as being that, that health and fitness uh, element. And I followed what I thought was the correct thing and I ended up getting very sick. And uh, on the other side of that, that sort of shook the tree enough to make me realize I need to go back to the drawing board and rethink uh, how I look at all these things, health and nutrition. And at that time, I went way down the rabbit hole with the reading to try to bring myself up to speed. I mean, a, a thousand hours easy in the first six months that I was trying to get this done. It was just day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, just trying to get myself up to speed. But in the final 
elements when I went looking for formulation, I, I'm, I'm happy to say I leveraged the expertise of people who'd been doing this for many, many years to help me get to the final yards. But yeah, in terms of a strong understanding of what we were trying to achieve and how it was going to work, I, I had a very good base by then. If you think back, Chris, to when you were a personal trainer and you were seemingly at that time fit, healthy, at the peak of your performance what do you wish you'd have known back then with, with the history now since 2009 and not just with the product itself but with the people you mix with, the science behind it, the research you've done? What do you wish you'd have known back at that time where you started to get sick? Uh, I think well, I'd probably have gone even further further back because the, the getting sick was accumulation of uh, not, a, not enough sleep, too much stress and far too many antibiotic bouts coupled with a diet that just didn't, didn't match me and I think probably doesn't match most people. So what I would change is what's already sort of started to happen, which is an understanding that don't just whack antibiotics at any, any bug that comes along, um, that sleep and stress are probably the biggest and most important elements of, of understanding um, health. I think, I think sleep is probably the single biggest factor. That sleep and recovery factor in, is huge and that um, 90, 10, the so-called you can do everything right 90% of the time and whatever you want 10% of the time in theory is a nice idea but an actual fact for a significant part of the population uh, it, it just doesn't work and in my case I never should eat anything that has wheat in it and there are a few other things as well it just tears me to pieces and I think the final piece would be uh, food quality is ultimately the single greatest determinant I think of of the nutrition element and this is where does your food come from and, and what are you eating? And there are far more similarities in that across the various so-called diets than there are dissimilarities, but the, the main tenet is food quality is king. I've heard you speak recently about the next frontier being macronutrients. What, what do you see happening? So there are macro and micronutrients. And macronutrients is the ratio of how many proteins, fats, carbs uh, you get. And I think people are understanding to a good degree now, what are some of the implications of modifying how you, where you get your fuel? Do you get it from carbohydrates? Do you get it from fat? What type of carbohydrates? What type of fat? Um, how are your activity levels? And, and making sure that those are in sync. And that's why there's a huge rage now with various versions of the keto diet and low-carb diet. <clears throat> and I think they will continue to be. And for us, with Athletic Greens, we actually deal in the micronutrients part, which is all those little guys, the vitamins, the minerals, the cofactors, the, the little players that your body likes to have to f when, it, when it wants to function optimally and frequently can be hard to get in, in a modern diet for most people. So I think the, the convergence of those two things will be sort of the next five or ten years of our, of our nutritional progress. You just mentioned the macronutrients, and whether it be veggies or proteins and where they, knowing where they come from, what lengths does the business go to to ensure that the products that are going into Athletic Greens are legit so that we know where they're coming from to optimize not only the performance of the product but also be doing the right thing? Because you've said it's an over-engineered product. How far have you gone? Uh, we've gone a little bit too far, I think, in terms of the engineering. <laughs> but, but, but just particularly from the engineering, I mean, we have, we have a product with so much stuff in there. We have, we have so much stuff uh, per serving that, um, you know, you know it's, 
there is a lot of goodness in there, and and I'm happy with that. It stood the test of time. In terms of the screening process and deciding what we wanted, we started with what we wanted, and it became who can we get it from that will meet our demands, and that was a very laborious process. And there's there's north of 75 ingredients in there. Each of those suppliers has been heavily vetted. Uh, the quality control is is brutal, well beyond an excess of the current CGM uh, CGMP standards and in the US and over the years you know we got something that was great many people say if it's if it's not broke don't fix it but I prefer to take the Intel or the Gillette approach which is if someone's going to make something better I want it to be us uh, who makes it better and we've now done 51 iterations on that original formula in, to- in terms of both sourcing and and the ingredients that we use so that's an ongoing process mate that keeps a couple of PhDs nice and nice and busy <laughs> I remember interviewing Michelle Rue from a famous restaurant in London called Le Gavroche. Very, very traditional, I think it's four decades, French restaurant, top of their game, Michelin stars. And Michelle talked about having his grandfather and his father were very disciplined with this is our menu. But he said every day he was tinkering. So every day he was just trying a little something in a sauce or a little, little something here. Is that you? Are you the same as like being a chef, the same approach? Are you looking at the formula and tinkering in order to find the next thing? Well, I'm I'm tinkering. We have a we have a scientific group who do the the effective audit, and this is where they review because we have a huge stockpile of studies on each ingredient. That's when they review what else has been happening. Have there been movements? Are there better ingredient sources and are there better ingredient formats? And we've done those changes. And I think that's reflected in our ingredient sort of panel. But in terms of the tinkering, yeah, I mix and match with things all the time. My house looks like a bit of a circus because I, I play well, I play with all, all thoughts of things, mate. But yeah, I, I tinker away left, right and center. Having met you and spent time with you, I think something that's evident to me is you are a very, very generous person. And I suspect that could tie back to why you are intent on over-engineering a product where the margins aren't great, but you believing it's the right thing to do. Where does this generosity come from? Is it a, something you got from a family, friend? Is it something you've never really considered? Like where, where's the genesis of that for Chris? Uh, I have unbelievably generous parents who deep down the thing that rocks their boat the, the most by far is giving. And I was very, very, I won won the lottery with my parents. But I think beyond the absorbing what I've seen with them my entire life, I thought it was normal for dads to try to fight to pay the bill when you went out with friends. Um, That's what my dad's been like my whole life. But I think the desire to add value to the world is just something I both had as a little kid because there's there's nothing that makes me happier than the interaction with someone else when you kind of know you've made their day or made them happy. That is an addiction for sure. But I think in terms of the business side is I just wanted to, to do something that I knew uh, was of huge value. And I'm very, very happy I did. I very Like I mentioned before, I got, I got advised to either dumb it right down or, or, or three or four X the price. I increased the price three times higher than it was to bring margins in line with industry norms. And I just refused because I figured if I like this enough – I don't have to be the biggest, uh, or the, I want to be the biggest company, or, or anything like that. I just know that there'll be enough people who value the quality and what we're offering them that, that will end up doing just fine, and that that's what happened. But the generosity, 
uh, the generosity man is interesting. I haven't really thought about it that way, but I can distinctly remember one of my earliest memories. I ended up going to hospital to get my tonsils out. And my mother took me shopping the day I went into hospital. I was four and a half. Um, and bought me a little doctor's kit. And so we went into a <laughs> so, so I was I was pretty excited. I hadn't quite thought through what was about to happen, but I was pretty excited and they, and they checked me in this pediatric ward and I was gonna have my tonsils out at about six AM the next morning and I was in there with my with my kit and I put my little doctor's outfit on, the stethoscope, and the ward next to where I was is I, I didn't realise it then, like why were so many of these kids bald? Um, but it was four very, very sick kids. And I went running through there uh, playing doctor with all these what I now it almost makes me cry, man. Like I look back and I think, how many of those kids are still alive? And the answer is probably mm. not many. But I went through with the stethoscope and go, "Hello, I'm Dr. Chris. How you doing? What's your name? Oh, look, everything's going to be fine. I've just checked your heart. You're looking great. And you know, I'll see you the same time tomorrow. I did this with every single ward and just completely lit up my life. I saw my mum and some of the the medical staff there looking on with tears in their eyes. And the next morning. I had my tonsils out and I was sitting there in my bed recovering, feeling awfully sorry for myself because uh, it hurt a lot. And like literally every single one of those kids who could come over and patted my hands and said, you know, I hope you feel better. And I don't know. I don't think I've been quite the same dude ever since. That's a good story. Oh, it's pretty hooked, man. It, it uh, definitely tore me up. You are a very likable guy. Your team like you when I have spoken to people who will be guests on the show coming up, they like you a lot. Having met you, you're a very, very likable guy. And you said well, at the start you. of the show that, well, it's true. And you said at the start of the show that one thing you did, you did think you had a skill in was building relationships. Is that something you have consciously worked at, Chris? Is that a skill that you've gone, this is really important, I can learn to do it better? Or is it just something that comes naturally to you? Because it is, it really is an outstanding attribute you, you have. Thank you, Gary, for an Australian speaking to a New Zealander. This is high praise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I had a innate... Uh, desire to make friends. I definitely had when I was a little kid a desire to to give to people when I when I met them. I love the the giving of energy. I always find I I get more in return. And there are a few things that will make my day more than rock up to some granny who's waiting to board the plane and just start chatting to her and and just be interested in what she's about and just see her come to life. That. That has made my day for as long as I can remember. So I think there's a, a genuine love of people. And I grew up with, like I said, parents who are phenomenally phenomenally giving and warm and a mother who is the best rapport builder and friend builder I've ever seen. And she does that by being genuinely interested in people. So I think I both have some, I'm not, I've nothing in her league, mate. I, you have to see it to, to believe it. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I don't think I'm anywhere near her league, but... It's something I think I, I got from my parents. And as time has gone on and I realized life's too short to be engaged in activities that don't fundamentally make you happy, it may make be very difficult in the moment, but inherently it should be things that drive you towards a sense of I'm pretty happy with how my, I lived my, my life. I, I try to stay away from... Um, what's the right word, interactions with people that are unlikely to leave both of us with a warm, fuzzy feeling. You just said it's unusual for an Aussie to give a Kiwi high praise. <laughs> Yet I, I have to ask you about this because I, I'm i a great I – love, I love New Zealand. 
I loved the Kiwis. I loved the way that the a, a team like the All Blacks dominate year after year. The way they they present, they where where is the Kiwi in you, Chris? You're known as Chris the Kiwi. What what attributes of that country do you think resonate the most with you? That when you go, I'm proud to be Chris the Kiwi. What is it about the New Zealand approach to life or beliefs that is so strong in your heart? It's <laughs> a good question, mate. The Kiwis, like the Aussies, are founded on, on a group of people, uh, mainly very much working class people, who who took a very perilous journey, a one way journey to to have a crack at a, at a better life. So, I think it's fostered in in all of us um, on both sides of the Tasman a. Uh, a willingness to self-deprecate, particularly with our humour, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, but a general willingness <laughs> to laugh at, to laugh at ourselves. I think that's a, a, a huge thing. Uh, a desire to explore, and and I think that's sort of the realisation for a lot of Kiwis is particularly once we leave New Zealand, we realise just how small, out of the way, and inherently completely irrele- irrelevant, our tiny little wonderful part of the planet is. And... You know, people know about us from the Lord of the Rings because they bought some kiwi fruit or some milk, and they know that we're this clean. Group. <laughs> Seriously, but, but until, until you get get away from New Zealand, you don't you don't have this realization. Actually, uh, we're, we're 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 just this tiny little country, and we're citizens of the world. So I think New Zealanders are very very willing to be citizens of the world once they have left New Zealand and when they go back. And I think I think Aussies are too, but maybe not quite to this extent because you know you're five times the size. So. I want to change change course here and take an off-ramp and talk about working out because we've talked about the nutrition part of it. And what I'm interested in, Chris, is your background is you were a personal trainer, so fitness was important to you, and it still is today. And then we hear terms like, I'm, I'm training or I'm working out. Others say, well, it's just about movement. Others say, it's just about being active. What's your take on fitness today? to optimize our health, to lead an inspiring life. How is it different to what you used to believe? Is it different to what you believe today? I, I didn't graduate, as I mentioned. I dropped out two papers to go to, to start a, a supplement business. And, and that went under due to me. And I subsequently had many, many different jobs. And I, I quickly realized, actually, I didn't want to spend my life as a personal trainer just because I got really tired of people who were turning up expecting me to give them the motivation. I, I enjoyed it a lot more when people were turning up just asking for knowledge. So I did small group training, individual training. I even, I even took a bunch of people through some sort of kickboxing for kickfit classes. And in that process at that time, I, I thought that anyone who just didn't get after it and do more and get up and attack it was inherently just a weakling and barely deserved to be, be considered human. On the other side of being sick, I have a huge amount of time for those folks for whom getting out of bed without pain is is difficult. Um, the thought of them, just the amount of energy, mental energy required to walk up a flight of stairs can be very significant for like serious parts of the population. So I'm no longer, for want of a better term, the dickhead and just assume that just because at that time I was feeling superhuman that everyone else inherently just needed to push themselves harder. I think some people definitely do need to push themselves harder, put down the hot dog, get off the couch. Um, 
and and literally that's kind of 80% of the way there is just just doing that but i think there are significant population like like groups in the population for whom it's a real uphill battle and having respect for them and an understanding that uh, do what's right for you for your goals inside your recovery parameters is, is sort of how how I'd state it so for my parents both of them are pretty fit um Father's about to turn 75. Mother's about to turn 70. He sent me a video of him deadlifting 100 kilos uh, just the other day. And he's not some big jack bodybuilder guy, but he's just consistently kept uh, sufficient movement and sufficient strength, which has only been two or three workouts on average a week, uh, plus a couple of walks. But at 74, he has more strength and more mobility than a lot of guys 10 or 15 years younger. And I think that to me is a smarter path than someone who's either beating themselves up because they don't look like a, a model or literally running themselves or destroying themselves into the ground because they're just overtraining, getting after it broken the whole time. So health and, and fitness and goals are quite different from true performance levels and uh, yeah, different strokes for different folks, depending on what your goals are, man, would be my short fish. And based on that, I want to tie a few things together. You mentioned models. And we're talking exercise. And I quite often see photos of you that you post of you dancing with beautiful models, beautiful women, and you are dancing and you're always smiling and I can see why, but you're always, you're dancing. Is, is in your mind, your dancing, is that a part of your exercise stroke movement ritual? Like, do you consider that to be part of your, cause you said different, different horses, for different courses. Is, should we be considering things like that to be part of our plan, Chris? Absolutely. I think, think movement's the key, and the more variety uh, of movement that you can get is is great. From a strength trainer's perspective, you actually don't need that much to maintain strength. From a strength and muscle mass maintenance perspective, because as people age, muscle mass and, and what happens inside your body because you have the muscle mass really is a currency of, of youth. I'm not saying you need to be you know, some massive bodybuilder, but definitely the maintenance of muscle mass and strength. And then it's really just what makes you happy and gets you moving. And uh, beyond the the bare basics to maintain mobility, uh, maintain strength, and and maintain your ability to sort of do the things you want to do, such as run across uh, a street or pick up your grandkids or whatever it may be, I think uh, beyond that, like just making sure you're ticking those boxes, anything beyond that should be what makes you happy and and feels good. And dancing, yeah. dancing for me is something I decided to take up again, and it definitely uh, makes you feel good. And the guy taking those videos, by the way, is is that girl's boyfriend. And I think <laughs> uh, if you think if you think I look like it, you should watch those two dancing together. It's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, it's gold. Now, on the flip side. We see people in the gym and we see a lot and they go in there and they smash themselves for 60 or 90 minutes. And that's the, that's the standard, got to go in, got to do an hour and a half. Yet these people have belly fat and I've heard you call it the cortisol band. They're working out, they're putting the time in, but nothing changes. What's, what's happening? What, what, tell us about the cortisol band. The way humans evolve, we, we have some very, very neat things. And one of those things that in, in times of fight or flight, your body releases a, a number of sort of chemical signaling, signaling molecules, which we call hormones, which do all sorts of fun things. And if the, the fight or flight or the scary thing that happens is uh, of a very short duration, um, I think those things serve us greatly. If, however, 
someone's stressed, tired, having problems at work, uh, not sleeping very well, overclocking their exercise sessions, definitely under-recovering, that sort of fight-or-flight uh, element will be in sort of a low grade the entire time. And this tends to lead to what are known as chronically elevated levels of a hormone called cortisol, which is also called the stress hormone, but it's not really fair because we absolutely need this hormone. It has a number of interesting functions. But when people are doing a ton of exercise, but they just can't seem to lose that belly um, and they're eating well, then then typically I, I know that they're most definitely overtraining or their training or lifestyle is exceeding their recovery ability. And it tends to lead to a, a band of fat around the uh, around the tummy and sometimes sort of puffy cheeks and jowls as well, even if the rest of them may not be that chubby. So I have been that guy many, many times and I call it the cortisol band because I've seen it on myself and I see it on a lot of people. And those actually, people actually do better when they do a lot less. <laughs> they, they need to take their foot off the accelerator. So they're not the ones you say, um, you know, get off the couch and put down the hot dog. Those are the ones you put on the couch and just tell them to chill out maybe have a massage, go for a walk outdoors, but don't do a training session that day. So I think there's different camps. But yeah, man, the cortisol, that the way that we're living and tend to be running too hot, too stressed, too tired, too everything, I, I don't think is particularly healthy. That's why I said that that sleep recovery stress understanding is, is sort of this whole, like if you go on holiday and you're sleeping eight or nine or 10 hours and you're by the beach and you're outdoors every day and you're socializing, you can get away with a, a lot more abuses than you could, um, say, if you're in your regular work. Not not you particularly, but people who tend to run too stressed in the regular work environment. So generally, those folks might need to back them right off, shorten everything, uh, just get the minimum effective dose in. I know it's been said and trashed around the world many times, but literally just get the, just enough stimulus and absolutely no more until uh, they get things back on the level. It's interesting, Chris, because... People listen to podcasts or read blogs or watch videos, read books about people's success. But generally when you dig behind the journey that people have had to been through, it hasn't always been easy. And if I take you back when you said, you know, I was that guy, there was a point where you went through your own, as you called it, bout of depression. And seemingly at the time, it was your sister who actually brought it to your attention and encouraged you to do something about it. I guess the question is, did you, did you know it at the time and you were pushing it aside or was it something where you thought everything was just normal but it turns out that things weren't normal and you were starting to go into this place? Do you remember that moment, how it felt and whether it was a conscious or unconscious thing for you? Oh, absolutely, I remember. So I, I was very much aware. I just hadn't wanted to face it. And I don't know what thought processes or stories I was telling myself at the time that made me think that it would just go away and I could ignore it, but I was, I was hiding from it. So when they sat down, and you, you kind of know deep down if you're happy or not, particularly if you've been dynamically happy previously and then it, it changes. Uh, and I think my, my sisters were both were, were pretty lovely, mate. They sat me down and said, you're very different, we think. Uh, we think something's happening here and we think you're suffering from depression. And they were right. And I worked pretty hard afterwards to try to see what I could do to pull myself out of that state. And I did that for me, um, you know, without doing therapy, without taking drugs or anything else. But that doesn't mean that those things wouldn't be very, very necessary for many people in the population. It's a, it's a real thing. 
What would be one thing that you did do to pull yourself out of it, Chris? Because you are a smart guy. Sometimes. What, what, <laughs> for a Kiwi, let's made, face it. I, I, I made, I made a, exactly. Smart for a Kiwi, which isn't saying much for an Australian's giving the comment. No, I mean, yes. I, I've made a lot of not-so-smart uh, decisions and, and, and not-so-smart uh, mistakes. What did – and we're going to get on to that in a second. But um, what did you do? Tell me, take me back to that time. Your sister has a conversation and you make a decision. I guess that was the first step. You made a decision – Take me through how you executed it. Sure. So both my sisters are very interested in this topic and my youngest sister is now fully trained with a master's and I think it's called psychotherapy. She's a therapist. She she loves this stuff. So she she was very much on the money and said, we think you're suffering from depression. We want to speak to someone. I spoke to someone and they spoke to someone with me and that second doctor said, basically, what do you want? You have these symptoms. What, what do you want? And I think I had the assumption that I was just looking for um, you know, an, an antidepressant. And I pushed that away pretty aggressively and just said, okay, let me think this through. And I read a bunch of books by entrepreneurs that had mentioned happiness. And there was Tony Say, uh, Ted Leonsis, he has a book called The Business of Happiness. These other books are these people who just talked about their process of finding happiness and what they were doing. They didn't directly help me uh, that much, but what they did make me think was I need to focus on the things that inherently make me happy and there are two categories there are those which have a physiological change like literally in the moment when i'm doing x i feel happy or it's impossible not to feel happy and i got a list of those and that's actually when i first uh, started dancing salsa a lot because i found that it was very very hard to be in my head and be depressed when i was socializing with a bunch of people dancing um other one was hot and cold transfer so if i if your body's really hot then you get cold or if you're really hot, um, sorry, then you're really cold, then you get hot. Um, I find that that physiological change, like dumping in a really cold river, you come out of that, you're happy. I didn't know it at the time, but jumping into a sauna actually does something uh, similar. Um, so, I, but, I, but anyway, I got a list. So I, my list was pretty simple. I had I had the dancing. I had to go out and do various social things. There was no drinking. The people who I'd been hardcore drinking in the past, even though they were great people, I just stopped hanging out with them completely just because they, they took me back to a time when I'd been drinking too much and feeling a little bit too sorry for myself and, and not taking enough action. So I just, just let him go. And in the sun every day, 30 minutes, I had to do four minutes of intervals every day before I could have a coffee or uh, a piece of chocolate, um, which was my self-reward, uh, which I know I've heard some, I've had some therapists say, you know, that's crazy. You shouldn't have it. It worked for me because I love coffee and that chocolate was actually the only bad thing I would eat um, for a very long period of time. So it was my little little reward. And then the dancing and, and the heat transfer. So I tried to jump into a cold, cold whatever it might be, be it a bath uh, or the sea, or then once it got hot. And obviously in Miami, the water is actually pretty hot, so it's kind of hard to get cold. So I'd, I'd do these things, and from a physiological standpoint, they would massively help. And then from the mental framework standpoint, it was – what are the things in my life that I'm working towards that I don't actually think are going to fundamentally make me happy? And it was in that period that I dropped everything that I was involved in apart from Athletic Greens, even though I had a huge amount of debt at that time, the other opportunities would most likely have paid that debt off faster and it was massively hanging over my head. I, I went for the one I most believed in, I believed made the biggest difference and the one that made me the most happy. And... I mean, I literally got out of every business relationship, engagement, uh, everything that did not 
make me happy. And that was when I started signing emails to our customers, although we didn't have many back then, um, you know, 100% focus on happiness, which for a long time was the catchphrase because that's what I did. Mate, there is so much in that answer that I want to ask you about. Um, and I'm going to come back to that in a second because there is a load of really nice takeouts in there. One, I want to tie a few things together here. One of the One of the comments you just made was, when the doctors wanted to put you onto prescriptions, you said, let me think this through. And I think that's quite profound in that I think you are a guy that takes the time to think about stuff. The flip side to that is I've heard you say that there's one area of your world you need to have to really work on is switching off your thinking brain. How, how, where are you on that now? Do you have you built rituals and routines around when you will have a good think about things? And then to the other point is actually being able to switch off? Uh, it's a very, very good question. So I think many entrepreneurs, indeed, many go forward, want my best life type of people, um, tend to have a lot of things happening in, in their brains. And for me, it wasn't so much that I'd get to the end of the night and I couldn't fall asleep. It was that if, if anything woke me, and frequently I just think I woke myself, the brain would be going 100 miles an hour. I couldn't shut it off, and that was the end of the sleep for that night. And that happened like that for years and years and years and years. Now, I defend the sleep at gunpoint, as the saying goes. So right now, I'm really extremely attractive, blue-blocking glasses, uh, I wouldn't normally be. Oh, uh, I wouldn't normally be looking at at a screen um, after after sort of five or six p.m. local time. The the blue blocking glasses are, are to cover that. I, I go to bed at nearly the same time every night. I'll I'll use cold to help make sure I fall asleep, and I'll do thirty minutes of fiction reading a night, almost without fail, uh, every night to to force me to go to sleep. But the the real key, man, is I no longer have the bulk of those stresses. So I, I try to set things up that I'm not going to get woken up in the night, and that means I don't drink fluids the last two hours before I go to bed, so I don't have to wake up and, and urinate. It also means in the morning, the very is, I can almost time my happiness off two proportional things. One is how, how long it takes me to be outdoors in, in natural light from the minute I wake up, and the longer that number is typically the more I'm struggling with whatever's going on. Like I'm just tired or exhausted. But literally the, the faster I can do that, uh, the better. And I try to get 20 minutes of natural light on my eyes. So that's walking around with no sunglasses, no cap, uh, as early as possible in the day. Because that sort of sets a photo rhythm, a light rhythm. And it works a treat. That works an absolute treat to get you awake. What's really powerful about this, Chris, is that these are things that we'll put in the show notes that people can go through and specifically write down a checklist, get in the sun, don't drink two hours before bed, read fiction, set the same time, cold. Like that's, it's really quite powerful because we hear the value, it must get you sleep, but then no one actually goes through, well, here's four or five, six things that you can try and I suspect each person's an individual, so it depends on what works best for you. Um, so I think this is, I think this is a nice setup to the series that you are creating here for Athletic Greens and the Inspiring Lives podcast, because I think that's what we really want to get out of this: is people who are leading inspiring lives. How do I replicate some of those things in my own way? And I, I think this is really powerful, mate. Oh, thank you, mate. Well, obviously, over the years, I've met some. 
I've been very fortunate to meet some very, very interesting and inspiring people. So I love the idea of being able to bring them together, get interviewed by Sir Gary. And, 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 no, Aussie and the Aussie guy. That Aussie, <laughs> the Aussie guy. And, and, and have you try to um, you know, get a bit of their story and some of their takeaways. And originally, the idea was that we'd do sort of a series of recordings and reserve them as a thank you for the Athletic Greens customers and then realized actually we can still have that thank you but open up that value to the world for free through a podcast. So that was sort of the, the stimulus idea behind why are we generating a podcast as opposed to sort of releasing uh, these just to sort of our databases we originally intended. So I'm, I'm excited, man. There's some great people have coming on. Two quick things before we finish, Chris. Something you said earlier in the interview you said you started a supplement company which didn't work and you said that was due to me. And what, what is really interesting about that, Chris, and you do hear it a little in the podcast world, particularly with the military, with, you know, Jocko Willink and Leif Babbitt, Babbin, Babbitt, Leif Babbitt writing Extreme Ownership, is people taking ownership of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what you did there. You said, that was, that was because of me. I take complete ownership of it. Where does that courage for you come from? Because that is not something that we easily want to admit to ourselves and or admit to others. Where do you find that courage for Chris comes from? Uh, well, that's an interesting way of wording the question, man. It's a good question. I, I don't think it's, it's courage. It's Literally a, a willingness. It's the understanding that unless I take responsibility for this, uh, unless I own it, I, I can't own the outcome. And I think that I, I've, over, over the years, man, particularly coming from the health and fitness field where I have so many friends in that world who, if you ask them who's responsible for your health, your fitness, your body fat, your sleep, they'll say, I am. And yet if you ask the same guy who's responsible for the amount of credit card debt that you have, there'll be a long pause and some sort of squirming around and not always, but frequently. And they haven't taken the same responsibility on their finances or someone who's done both of those, but isn't investing enough time with his wife or kids. And, and you ask them, you know, who's, who's responsible for your family dynamic. And in those frameworks where people have things that are very negotiable, I think they tend to fail. When people have things that are very non-negotiable, they tend to end up with mastery of that particular element of their life. So I am not negotiable on who owns the, the business outcomes. I, I'm, it, it's, it's my responsibility. And I feel the same about the health and fitness. And I feel that although I've had plenty of ups and downs there, um, far more than any other area of my life, strangely enough. Um, and I absolutely own the, the personal relationships in my life. And I watched my mother just do a world-class job of owning those relationships. And I think it's very interesting to me to see how few people are willing to take responsibility for each of those different facets of their life, but, but frequently will absolutely take ownership of one facet of their life. But when you get the people who do that, the changes are pretty spectacular. And I think for business, we only want people to join our team. And we have an amazing dynamic team. You've, you've met them, obviously. And... One of, the one of the common characteristics is that, that ownership. They will all take ownership. And it's amazing, mate. If, uh, if you empower people like that, 
and, and they're willing to take ownership and you keep and they know that you've got their back and that you've they make mistakes that's fine just we'll own it we'll figure it out together and off we go you end up with a a thing a thing that just keeps growing and expanding and doing wonderful wonderful works in the world so i'm a huge fan of taking responsibility for for those elements of my life and i did not when that business first failed <clears throat> i did not for four years which is why i had all those weird odd jobs which now i don't regret it's actually five years i don't regret those odd jobs because i learned so much about people i had stints doing all, th- all sorts of things but i remember my first ever formal business mentor my, my first ever real mentor was my father but my for business my first ever sort of formal or paid mentor was a guy called keith cunningham and i had a one-on-one with him and anyone who here listens to this should definitely uh, pick up his various books and courses he, he's he is amazing and i'd gone in there trying to learn how to raise money for the venture and we haven't covered that at all instead he'd basically slapped me around the head for feeling sorry for myself and told me to go home uh, and also for the whole tall poppy thing that can be a problem in, in various parts of the world, but also to go home and write down 50 things that I'd been responsible for in that failure without laying blame or justifying anything. And his goal of that, of course, was to make me take responsible for it and, and own it such that I could then, if I was to repeat it again, change the outcome. And I used to regret that, that I didn't immediately get straight back into something and in nutrition or health or business, but I look back on it now and realize those other experiences as a result have, have ultimately helped me potentially more. Just to finish this up, I need to set this up, then I want to hear your thoughts. So the world generally as a whole is unwell. Our relationships are struggling. There are corporate executives who are struggling. Depression is rife and growing. That's uns- Sadly, it's becoming the norm. And I heard an interview recently and a guy said to me, one of the reasons that that is happening is because we conform. So because people eat that, we all eat it. Because people are doing that, we all do it. Because people are working long hours, we all do it. Because we treat each other like this, we all do it. Yet during this interview, you said, even when you said my treat is a piece of chocolate, everybody told me not to do it. But I suspect you did it, so you're non-conformed. When you were engineering the product, you said they said simplify it, dumb it down, but you didn't conform to that. When they said you should do it this way, you said I, everyone told me to do it that way, but I didn't conform. Do you do you see yourself as a non-conformist? Have you loaded that question perfectly? <laughs> <laughs> So, look, man, I, I think whoever said that is, is correct, but he's not just correct. It's not so much that people just conform. I think those habits, um, they, they become habits early. And then from there, the habit of, of conforming and doing things just becomes the habit. It's the habits that really that really crush, right? I mean, I, I think that the people I admire most in the world are, are those that are truly adding value to the world. The, the other group of people I admire most in the world are those who go and create their own reality. And they're the type of people that you, you have lined up to interview for, the, for this podcast. And, you know, they're fascinating, man. They could be in all sorts of different walks of, of life. I mean, you have some absolute world-class nutritionists on there. You have one of the best guys in the world at networking and forming business relationships. I mean, they, in their various fields, have literally just created their own reality. And frequently in their entire lives, they do many, many things that a lot of other people think are crazy, and they're not—they're not conforming. But I don't think it's a desire to 
I want it to be different because I want to be different. It's just that, no, I, I want to create something special and I'm going to go do that. And that's what they go do. And I think we do that in many, many, most of us do that in some element of our lives and maybe just need to be taught or inspired or mentored on how to do that in other areas of their lives. But I think for for the entrepreneurial crowd, I remember a comment by a guy called Garrett Camp, who's the co-founder of Uber and has actually done a number of very interesting businesses before he co-founded Uber, saying that for him it was interesting, now that he's doing more investing, to understand when to take your cards off the table and just walk away because mm. you don't it's the right fit versus as an entrepreneur, inherently half of that battle is to take a vision and, and will it into existence despite the obstacles, the hurdles, the low margins, the this won't work, etc. And I think many times advisors will give their well-meaning advice and you should take it. But there's a reason <laughs> they've been there, done that, and I've made many stupid mistakes. But there are other times, I think, when conviction um, and just a desire to, cre- to, re- to create what you see inside is, is even more important. And I define entrepreneur, by the way, as someone who creates value where, where none or less previously existed. So that could be a CEO, it could be anyone inside an organization, it could be the, a founder of a startup. I mean, the, the definition, I think, is, is pretty capable of encompassing many people. But that, that desire to go forth and do it despite the hardships and despite your friends looking at you, I had a little bit of difficulty doing that um, when I was younger. Literally, the work with Keith was probably the single biggest factor that just drove a, a realization that it was okay for me to want to do different things. It was okay for me to want to shine and excel and, and be great at the things I wanted to be great at. And so I did. And as part of that process, I ended up, for want of a better term, firing many, many friends, many, many relationships. And it was very hard at the beginning. Now, it's incredibly easy uh, to do that. It sounds crazy, but it's it's incredibly easy. But it's mainly because I just won't invest time, um, extended periods of time in people who are who are trying to pull me down because my vision doesn't match their vision. So I just leave them alone. They can have their vision over there. I'll have my vision over here. It's interesting, Chris, because one thing I get a real kick out of is meeting people who put the rubber on the road and they they do – they do what they do, but they stay the course. They play the long game. If I take you back to October 14, 2011, you wrote, sitting in the sun by the pool, finishing up a call to a lawyer, I know is sitting in an office in a suit after having gotten up in the dark to change and drive through rush hour to get to work. It goes on. The last bit says, to all my mates who've chosen the pass less travelled, here's a double espresso toast to a life outside the box. That post you put up, and within that you said, a salute to you who have chosen the path path less travelled. Not always easy, frequently brutal, always worth it. So although maybe the wording is the path less travelled or doing it differently to what currently existed, in a way the non-conforming part has been something, or has been a big part of your journey now for well, according to these posts, well over a decade. So it does seem like an ingrained attribute you have and you've surrounded well, yourself how, with people. Let's go. No, how about we word it as uh, uh, lead, don't follow? Yeah. Okay. So, Let's something do that. like that. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> I, do, I, pref- I prefer that language. I think just a willingness to go forth. Maybe you're the only one, maybe you're one of many, but inherently 
Uh, look, I've been inspired by watching other people who went forth and created their own reality. And when I started on, on this entrepreneurial path many, many years ago, it was it was more a sense of adventure. And then later, I lost it all. And it was a sense of I I have to do whatever it takes to to sort of get people their money back. Um, I've, I've been in that place. I've been bankrupt. I've been it's been very very brutal. But deciding that okay, I'm I'm not going to take the shortcut to to trying to make money quickly or anything else. I'm going to try to build the most value I possibly can into the world, and I'll do it around the the business, the product, and the the problem I'm solving about which I'm most passionate. That was at the time for me the 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 difficult path and it was the the harder path but i took it because i saw the vision of what would be on the other side and i i have no regrets at all in my life that i've taken whenever i've made that decision in fact if i look back at it i'd say making those decisions has almost always led to the greatest growth the greatest contribution and the greatest sense of sort of self-actualization like each and every time so if anyone's faced with one of those decisions you know, don't hesitate. Just, just take the plunge. I mean, try to figure out what your downsides are and 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 manage those, and then and then take the plunge, whatever that means for you. Entrepreneurially, with the family, take your kids out of school, drop the corporate box, go traveling for a year with your family, whatever it is. Just, just go do it. Well, thank you for your time, mate. It's been a great uh, privilege. It was uh, it was top. Well, thank you so much. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I'll be coming to see you. So as you know, we talk about it a fair bit here in the studio. Since the early days of this show, I have become a convert to my smoothies in the morning. My smoothies consist of a bit of fruit, some cricket powder, seeds, powders, anything else I can get my hands on, turmeric, ginger, blah, blah, blah. What am I not getting in that that I'm getting if I pay for Athletic Greens? Well, greens themselves give you a lot of phytonutrients. So the green texture, the darker the green colour in a vegetable, the better it is for you. That's antioxidants Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. The other thing I think you get is you get the macronutrients and the micronutrients that you get in that that you may not get from some of the stuff that you're putting in, depending on what you put in any given day. But the other thing that I didn't know when I first met Chris and Adam and started digging into Athletic Greens is you get your prebiotics and your probiotics. So all this stuff uh, is all mixed in. So are you getting it with what you're having? Chances are you could be. But if you look at, as Tim Ferriss would say, is it's his insurance policy. So if you've got a deficiency in your macronutrients, micronutrients, in your prebiotics, probiotics, your vitamins, your minerals, any shortfall you've got, you just top it up. And for me, mm. all I do is I have a jar. They get this, the Athletic Greens packaging is absolutely beautiful. And I and my family just put a scoop in wherever we're doing. So even if I'm making a broth at lunchtime, I'll just put a scoop in because I go, well, why not? I can. Why not? And it's just an insurance policy. So depending on what you put in, but if you're putting in kale and you're putting in honey and everything else, yeah, sure. But a lot of people get up in the morning and they're just going to go and all they want to do is get some water, put in this thing, shake it up. In 30 seconds, you're gone out the door. Um, and you're good to go and you've covered off all those different disciplines. So that's that's essentially – and what's really interesting is that well, I've heard Jack Dorsey, who started Twitter, I've heard James Alter, one of the biggest podcast shows in the world and a best New York Times bestselling author, and Joe Rogan, who arguably has got as big, if not bigger, audience than Tim Ferriss, all of them independently 
on shows, being interviewed by other people, have all mentioned exactly the same thing, that they get up, scoop in whatever they're doing, out the door. So, I don't know, it just seems legit. It's funny how we talk about rituals on this show, though, because in, I guess it's five years I've been doing smoothies. My morning smoothie has almost become part of my morning ritual, or probably has become part of my morning ritual. And it's the, because it takes me about 15, 20 minutes to put it together. So it's that 15, 20 minutes in the morning where Robbo's just standing there and gets 20 minutes to himself to think, okay, what's on the schedule today? Blah, blah, plan my day, think about other things. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? The only thing I'd say, though, that... uh, you've probably got a flaw in your plan is when you, when I talk about greens, grabbing yeah. a Dos Equis that comes in a green <laughs> bottle, <laughs> that's kind of not the quality. Well, cherry and quality. coconut, the cherry and coconut Tim Tams are okay in my smoothie, aren't they? That's fine. Coming soon to the Mojo Radio Show. As we uh, finish the interview with Chris, he this guy's really well connected. As you heard, relationships, being of service, and he's a very, very generous man. And he said, would you like to meet some people that are good mates of his for the show? And I said, for show. So we have got some killer guests coming up in Rocktober, and I suspect now probably through until December we'll have a splattering of of Chris's mates who he's going to pull a favour to get them on the show, which is very, very good of Athletic Greens. Very cool. Very exciting, can and, I say, some of the names that you two are bandying around. And this is not a sponsorship thing, folks. This is not a sponsorship or advertising thing. This is just people being of service. And Chris is a generous guy who likes the show. And hello to all the other people, Athletic Greens, who love the show. And uh, that's really cool. So a uh, mm. couple of things. Rocktober. What's the update? Uh, Roger, Wilco, ready to go. Uh, promo's done, sweeper's done, intro's done, ready to rock and roll. So here's the deal, folks. We are doing, you know how when you are driving down the street of any city in the world, there are billboard posters up on <laughs> building sites and then you go to the gig and the the, the, the band poster is up. Well, we're going to do our own poster for Rocktober. <laughs> it's currently in the works. Illustrator, uh, Guy Downs, who's been a previous guest on the show, gee, back in season one or two. It was a long time ago. Uh, season three he was. Season three. Uh, mm. Guy's working on it right now, and it's going to be 20 or 30 bits of gold illustrated with an illustration to something to do with that piece of gold. So I've gone back through the archives, picked out, Things off our studio wall, the 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 voice booth, and we've got <laughs> the carvings in the lectern, <laughs> and we've got a montage of all those things, which will be done up into a poster. Which all our Patreon people will send it to you. The others will give you a site to go and download it. And I think it's scale. If you download it and blow it up, you can blow it up to one point five meters by almost a meter. So when you blow wow. it up, it's going to be a a proper rock poster, and I believe that you're doing some work 
is you're getting a Spotify of gold tracks to get your mojo working. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, it's well underway. There's, uh, I've been back through the archives again, had a look at some of the stuff we've played on the show, got rid of all the country and all the rap and all the hip hop and just picked the good stuff. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. There's a, there's a, there's a, a typical Robbo eclectic mix of all sorts of stuff, bit of jazz even in there so far. So you're going to load that onto Spotify and that'll be yep. the Mojo Radio Show gold something? Gold that, that will be the Mojo Radio Rocktober Riffs is what I've called it. Rocktober Riffs, nice. Okay. The other thing is I want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. We have been going great guns on Patreon. Jim, Jimbo, came on this week. Jimbo. Uh, Mike, who is a has been a fan of the show, a super fan, I would, I would hasten to guess, for many years, came on as a, as a big supporter. He dipped into his pocket. Um, and Ian, a good country boy, he's jumped on board as well. So anyway, I just wanted to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. It means the world to us. And my thought, mate, is we've got our poster We've got our song list, which is the typical song list, the band with that playlist that have, you know, gaffed to the stage. I reckon if we get a couple more supporters, we should do our own Mojo Radio Show Black Tour T-shirt. Uh, I think the time is ripe. Absolutely. So there's the challenge, folks. If you are currently a Patreon supporter, get your friends on board. If you're not on board yet, jump on board. This is what you get. The Mojo Radio Show has been keeping this under lock and key. Explosive Hits 2019. It's a priceless collection of mojo-changing hits with Noel Razor Smith. Ten years the things you learn in the criminal life in the straight line. I ain't spending my life here. I ain't living alone. Amy Moran. You have something like 65,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. A lot of them are going to be negative. A lot of them are filled with self-doubt. Explosive Hits 2019, 22 glittering stars with Tate Fletcher. Stop lying to yourself. That's what I would say first of all. You've got to stop lying. Ivor yeah. Davies, Maria Gronberg, Simon Marshall, and classic Karek Ashley. Because most people, they're living their life like there's no ramification to it. Think of the worst case scenario and you go, that's it, I'm done. Don't stop Explosive Hits 2019 with Dave Acosta. Now you're recognizing that being more aware is actually rewarding in a good way to you. Explosive Hits 2019. It's a pure gold collection. A bucket load of our greatest hits. And it's waiting for you on the Mojo Radio Show Patreon page. Out now from Kato. And what's more, we will do a T-shirt for the Mojo Radio Show. So I reckon it'll be a black rock and roll to a T-shirt. <laughs> no dates because <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows when we're going to be around. And uh, we need a couple more supporters. Oh, actually, will... no, our tour dates should be every Monday morning. 52 tour 52 dates. 52 dates. <laughs> so we will do a couple more supporters just to help us and we will finance that and do a T-shirt for all our Patreon supporters to take us out, we need, I reckon we theme this around green. What do you say? Okay, let's do that. Lola? I'm listening. What have you got? It's not easy being green. Creative for a Monday morning Lola, but it's certainly not us. What else have you got? Baby to the river. Washing me down. Won't you cleanse my 
Nice. Nice choice. That would be my contender so far. Yeah, negative. Keep going. It's good to touch the green, green grass of home. Oh, Tom Jones. Lola, you're hitting all the soft spots this morning. That's awesome. I'm betting Burt Whistle's not on board. It's it's not that awesome. But, however, you have to credit Tom Jones for being a stayer where he still has women throwing underwear on stage at his age. He's got to be, what, 80? Oh, easily, and then some. Yeah, Outstanding. Well, John Farnham, too. There's another one who gets undies thrown on the stage still. Come, I'll come back. Come back, Johnny. Uh, all right. Uh, that's not very us, though. Lollis, let's, let's go green rock and roll. What do you got? More. Bit of a, a green collaboration. Bit of you 2 and Green Day, but it's probably more us, don't you reckon? So what's the name of that track? The Saints Are Coming. The Saints Are Coming? So that's Green Day and you 2 That's the one. That's more us. We're out.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.